Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. I think I always, probably from the bouncing around and the kind of the disconnected childhood, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I always, you know, I always felt like the new guy. So when I would meet, whether I mean students was where I had the most opportunity consistently, but I mean just meeting people who were from a foreign country, and yeah, I just always felt like I could relate, you know, as they're trying to settle into a place where I live and it's home. But yet, it, nothing ever felt 100% like home. Foreigners used to kind of be able to get away with just about anything, frankly, like back in the day, from what I understand. And then over the last 10 years or so, you know, you have to come here in a spirit of partnership and humility and wanting to learn and work. And that's the only thing that works. And people who don't have a clear mission, there are people who can kind of drift and find themselves, quote unquote. But if you don't have a clear mission, it's going to be pretty brutal here. So for me, I would I would encourage anybody listening in the states or you know outside of China to keep an open mind. And for any Chinese listeners or you know displaced Chinese folks who happen to be listening to this too, know that there are plenty of people like me who are here sincerely. We're you know we want to be part of of things and helping to improve you know improve the world for all of us a little bit. It's your host Fei Wu, and I'm super pumped to be back here recording and releasing a brand new episode of Face World podcast. As some of you guys already know, I went on an extended vacation in China in March 2018, and while I was there,、uh, it was super productive. But I didn't actually get a chance to work on the podcast much. So I'm thrilled to be back here in Boston, Massachusetts, in my own home studio. To prepare more episodes and share more stories from unsung heroes and self-made artists with you, my listeners. Today on the show, I have Brandon Davis. Brandon and I connected through Angel Jones' 12-minute conversations podcast. Thank you, big shout out for Angel, and、uh, so many good things have happened since I've been on your show. So Brandon runs a podcast in China called Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom. Middle Kingdom here means China, which is where I'm from originally. Brandon himself、uh, was born and raised in Atlanta, and he has traveled quite a bit since then、uh, because he moved to LA to pursue a career in filmmaking and production, which we talked about、uh, briefly. In this episode, but more importantly, he made a transition full time to reside in China about two years ago. His show is rather popular over there with the locals, 
um, because many of his listeners are actually expats who reside full-time, just like Brandon, in China. And it's really interesting to me, someone who was uh, born and raised in China, to watch more and more expats uh, to more comfortably, happily reside in China, moving themselves and often their families and, you know, including their kids as well. So here, one of the highlights, I think, uh, via this episode is that Brendan shares his own very experience with you on how he moved himself there and uh, the food he's been eating, um, the shows, the podcasts he's been listening to over there, and how he pursue and develop very high quality and long-lasting relationships while he's in China. And as you can imagine, his podcast plays a really big part in all of that. So if you're thinking about moving overseas, why not start your own podcast, right? You can connect with the locals and um, English is a rather popular language. So uh, even if English is not your first language, you could still potentially consider starting a podcast in English exactly the same way as I did. English is also my second language. Brendan, since the recording of our episode, has done some really interesting experiment. So if you enjoy listening to to him, to his stories, I highly recommend that you reach out to him in our show notes and on our website, faceworld.com. You will easily find ways to find Brendan's podcast and also ways to connect with him directly. One key takeaway, if you're thinking about going to Beijing during the winter, we're moving there for an extended period of time, bring your winter puffer because you're going to need it. Without further ado, please welcome a very special guest halfway around the globe, roughly 8,000 miles away, Brendan Davis to the Face World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. That means so much to us. Even better, submit a review on iTunes. We love you so much, and I'll see you at the end of the episode. So, Brendan, first of all, I definitely want to welcome you to Face World. And it's such a, a rare opportunity for us to connect this way. We connected through another podcaster whose goal is to record something like, you know, 10 podcasts, 10 episodes a day. Yeah. Um, his th- Thanks, Faye. I'm really glad to talk to you in this way. And um, that's Angel Jones, uh, this really interesting guy. He is from and is still based in Trinidad and Tobago. And he contacted me through LinkedIn and, you know, sent a basically request about being on his show. And I checked the show out, thought that sounded cool and said, absolutely, I'd love to. And he does this thing called 12-Minute Convos with Angel with Jones. And you've been on the show too. And so when I was checking his show out, you had been a guest pretty recently. So I, I skimmed the, the, his most recent handful of episodes and – Honestly, I saw Chinese name and I thought, oh, and I saw a little blurb about you and I thought, oh, okay, I'll start here. I'll start here, you know, because again, I thought, oh, actually, you know, someone with a Chinese name, maybe, maybe there's some synergy with what I'm doing, but I mean, I wasn't trying to peg you as a guest. It was more just to hear your story because I figured it would be interesting. And I was right. 
my instinct was correct. You had an interesting story, and it was so interesting that we know what happened from there. But yeah, so uh, you reach out to me from there, and you put me on your show, uh, Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom, which really piqued my interest as well because I feel like we're in a way trading places that I'm yeah. now living, <laughs> you know, permanently in the U.S., Boston specifically. Right. But you are actually living in my home country, which is Beijing, China, for the past uh, year or two years. Yeah. About that. And, yes, I, um, I, I moved here in May of 2016, so I've been living here a little over a year and a half. But I've been back and forth for over four years now. Uh, so you started this show and I listened to a few episodes and I was thinking, wow, I want to know more. And I don't know where your audience uh, come from. I had originally imagined based on the description that they would be people living, uh, expats living in China or people are contemplating to go about, like, how do they go about moving to China by themselves with their family? But to my own surprise, I found the show to be really interesting because as a Chinese person born and raised in China, I was really interested. I'm still very interested in how people are navigating, how foreigners are living in China, which today has really become the norm. There are a lot of you guys over there versus, you know, the back in the 80s and 90s. So, Sure. It, well, it's I. Your instinct is right, and and I appreciate what you said because it tells me that the that the focus of the show is translating. There are a lot of shows out there. Um, I did, you know, I, I didn't. I wouldn't say I did extensive research before starting it. I've been planning to start a podcast for years, even when I still lived in L.A., and I was planning to move to China, so I knew there would be some connection. But the concept became more and more focused after I lived here, and I had the concept clear probably six months before I started it, kind of late late 2016, but I just didn't have the time to do it. At the time, I was here helping build a, another business, and it was very, very hectic. So um, I, I'm intending this to be something that transcends. Again, I work in you know entertainment, and I'm trying to do a show that actually can reach a wider audience. Um, I'm wanting to do something that goes a lot deeper I'm not. I'm not trying to solve people's daily mundane problems. There are plenty of shows that there are plenty of blogs that do that. Especially, there are a lot of great blogs about. Hey, if you're moving here, here's how you do this and that and the other. And I would be happy to maybe partner with some of those, you know, as a resource for people and put those on my website. But for me, I, I really want to do something that's my version. You know, I go for something that's in depth but has personality, and there is the common theme. It's about. It's about, you know, my first question is always, who are you, where are you from, and for you, why China? Why did you make the move? And it's trying to be my version of like a Tim Ferriss, super detailed, super geeky, nuts and bolts of things, and how do you do things, which Trek gets into that area a little bit. But then more the Mark Maron show where there's a lot of emotional connection and figuring out what motivated people. And again, you know, I have a variety of shows that are my composite of that. But the audience, it's roughly one-third to one-half China-based, which is kind of interesting. And then it's consistently about one-third in the U.S., between a quarter and a third. And then the balance, um, episode to episode, is spread out around the rest of the world. And what's really crazy is the last time I tallied it up, I'm tracking in about, well, it was 78 countries last time I actually did a count. Mm, you know? and crazy. It's maybe crazy. It is. I mean, there may be, I don't know who the folks are and who knows how people discover things, but I mean, there are like a handful of people in Pakistan who listen to the show and 
I've got, uh, I think there are about 18 or 20 people who seem to consistently listen somewhere in Iran. And so it's just, it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. But anecdotally, and as well as what I can track and you know from comments and things like that, it is heavy on expats in China. And it's also bilingual Chinese people who are here, who are interested to know more about the strangers, you know. And then it's people, I think like you, it's the Chinese uh, diaspora, if I'm using the word correctly, who are out amongst the English, as they say. That's been, and then it's just people who are curious about weirdos like me who would do this. Mm -hmm. Thanks for giving us that level of details. What I find really exciting about the conversation with you is that in retrospect, I haven't really had that many conversations with real podcasters who are, you know, doing this day in and day out. Um, I'm curious and learning more about how, you know, when you started the podcast, I definitely think there's a lot of personal reasons and I can agree with you a hundred percent. But when you're doing this on top of um, what you're already doing, you know, have you have a job, you have projects, and you're living in a foreign country, how are you thinking about download sponsorship and getting paid, you know, <laughs> turning into a lucrative endeavor, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I'm thinking that those are our aspirational goal, hashtag goals, as the kids would say. Um uh, on a on a on a slightly more serious note, as much as I can muster, um, you know, I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying. And for me, the reason I do the show, there are a lot of reasons that I've ticked off in different episodes and talking to people. But one of the primary ones, I mean, if, to get a few of the obvious ones out of the way, I do it because, of course, it's it's helpful for me. It gets my my name out there. And as you know, it's a way for me to communicate, it lets me meet interesting and cool new people and talk to people, you know, but the biggest reason I do the show, I mean, I'm trying to flatten the world. I'm trying to, to make, you know, the, the, the connections a little, a little, a little less distant. The most practical fundamental benefit for me day to day is really, it's a mental health exercise because working as a, as a producer, as a film and TV producer, the the fact is that it takes forever often to get something done to develop you know from idea to delivery it just is it's often years and years and there's no guarantees with this this is a production that i can control top to bottom and deliver every week i i love and so that, that idea is, <laughs> is so such a, a mental health blessing to do this for me honestly i i think we should uh both write about that. And uh, I love when we get so raw and just get to have someone ask ourselves that question and being in a safe environment and really think deep about it. Because I I got to say that if we ask 10 or even 100 podcasters, it really wouldn't surprise me that our answers are not the only ones, that this very message resonates with so many people in the world today, especially those who are pursuing in creative endeavors. I myself, you know, kind of work in uh, advertising for a long time, 10 plus year consulting. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't agree more in terms of working days and nights and weekends and with absolutely no guarantee that the project would even launch. And it's not even about putting our names on it to be able to brag about it, but just being able to ship. That was such an impossible and painful endeavor. And then here you are anyway. And that's just so liberating to be able to choose your own path and make your own decisions, you know, like a grown-up. 
uh, I'm going to jump around a bit because I think people's, yeah, sure. you know, origin stories are really fascinating. And so for yeah. people who don't know about you, um, you're living in Beijing. That has become pretty clear. And, uh, you know, tell us about how your life in Georgia as a little kid <laughs> before your transition to L.A. into like a film and TV sort of industry. What was okay. it like? Well, sure. Well, I mean, I grew up. Uh, I mean, I won't take you too far back, but um, I was always, I, I took to music right away. I was also around acting and theater from like community theater and things like that. But my parents both did different levels of performance and, you know, were, you know, my dad did some sort of semi-professional stuff and um, they divorced when I was really young. So about seven years old and I was kind of back and forth and I've lived all over the Southeast, not just Georgia, but I mean, mostly Georgia. I, I say that I say that Atlanta is basically my hometown kind of by default, but I really grew up half in Atlanta or around that area and then half in this small town in Alabama called Anniston. Oh, that's Alabama. where my, wow. Yeah, that's, that's where my, well, it was about half and half and I moved to LA from Atlanta. You know, as an adult, I lived in Atlanta for years. But um, as a kid, especially, my, my mom is from this place called Anniston, Alabama, and her parents were the, you know, my grandparents on my mom's side were about the most consistent people in my life, you know, because they stayed in the house. It's like the second house that, you know, they had a house when they married and then they built a house and that's the house they were in for, you know, decades and decades. And my grandmother decades after my grandfather died. So, uh, growing up, you know, very chaotic in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I was a pretty weird kid in that I was very much created, uh, fantasy worlds. And we moved so much that basically I didn't really, I was always the new kid. I, I lived in, I was in 10 different schools over the 12 years of one through 12. Oh, wow. That's a lot of schools. At, yeah. So I was always the new kid and was not naturally athletic. I was naturally a musician. So I was able to, and that was, you know, relatively funny or, um, you know, so I was able to make friends in that way. Um, my first career, I, I joke that my first career is failed rock star. I was a uh, I was a hard rock uh, lead guitar player, oh. and so growing up, the assumption was that I was going to actually be like a professional guitar player. That was my assumption. Mm -hmm. I ended up having like a professional band. I mean, everybody who plays at all has like you know they're a high school band and maybe they knock around in college. And I had that band too, but I actually got into I formed a real professional band where everybody but me had been signed to a major label. I mean, it was like a for real band. I mean, we were showcasing for major labels and had offers and it was, we were on television and I was, I was on Star Search in 1995. And I assume um, this was when you were in your 20s or so? It was, it was really 20s. It was from, um, uh, yeah, it was contained from about 21 to 28, 29. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, what's uh, people often ask me, what is the consistent theme across Face World? And I realize that, you know, when people struggle with the guests' professions, like, oh, there's an FBI agent and there's an artist and there's a Cirque du Soleil performer. And, oh, that's a little confusing. But I think at the end of the day, everybody who has been on the show 
are self-made artists. And many of them are unsung heroes who have done, you know, touched so many people, have done tre- you know, tremendous things in life, but not at all household names that you wouldn't even bother um, to find out about them, right? What I also love about the journey of talking to different people is simply to show others that, you know, people like us or like them uh, have not and will not give up on our dreams. And it takes maturity. So I think your journey as a rock star and as a film producer and now doing something you, you know, it's a, a, a podcast that you're doing maybe kind of small in scale compared to what you see as this uber success. But it's the making of is the journey. I feel like it's so often missing in popular media. Therefore, it gives people the uh, false assumption of overnight success. Uh, or some people say, oh, oh totally, I understand. Totally. It's not literally overnight, but but here's the thing. They imagine it being something like six months to a year is what I'm, what I'm saying. So that's also false. But I, I want to kind of fast forward just a little bit into your uh, moving to LA and then your pursuit sure. in, in media. And how, how did that transition happen? I mean, how did you pick yourself up and say, let me try something different. Maybe I'll be good at this too. Sure. Well, I can get, and again, I don't mean to overshare. I, I'm, I'm friends with people from the past and, and although I live very much in the present and kind of halfway in the future, theoretically, but, um, you know, um, but basically did the band and working my way through college, but my degree was in film. And so I had been working, doing live sound. I was mixing shows at you know, clubs. I ended up doing bigger shows later, but I mixed music as a job while I was in college, while I had my band. After college, pursuing the band, but paying the bills, I switched into doing sound for film and TV. So I was a production sound engineer. I was a boom operator. I was a utility sound guy. So working on film and TV shows, I did the technical work on other people's shows for about 12 years. And and based out of Atlanta. So, I mean, I worked all over the US. I worked all across Canada, different things. And so I had always wanted to move to LA. I was always drawn to California, had never been there before I moved. I almost, I made plans a few times once kind of, you know, just testing the waters and once was kind of serious. And then I got really busy and it didn't make sense to leave, but things lined up. The most accurate way I could say it is that I was, my, my house was in this part of Atlanta in the South and I was just north of the airport. And I was in a place where the planes didn't fly overhead and there were storm windows, but you could hear like a low rumble, you know, like kind of all the time. And I woke up this one morning early and was going to head into work. And I didn't realize something was strange. I had no idea what was going on, but I got up and got my coffee and I kind of sat down in the living room and I was just sitting there thinking something felt really off and really, really weird. And I realized it was just deathly quiet. And I turned on the TV and I watched the second plane fly into the tower. So it was the morning, September 11. And quite literally, like almost dropped my coffee and just like, what the hell's going on? And so of course, everything, all the traffic was shut down at the airport behind me was the deal. And then that made me realize I've got to do what I need to do here. You know, I'm going to need to move. I don't have everything figured out yet. 
yeah, I've got a house. I'll figure it out. I'll rent it. I'll sell it. But I need to go west. And I'd never been, I'd never been, I've been all over the country, but I'd not been to California until I drove out there with a car full of stuff mm. to move. That's that's really interesting how we make our decisions. And I think especially when it comes to such major, major event of the century in this case, that I've heard several stories of people making uh, life decisions based on that moment of reality and truth and just clarity. Um, give me a sense of how many years you end up spending in LA. Yeah. So now I lived in Los Angeles 14 years prior to moving to Beijing. So I moved to LA 2000, summer of 2002, and I moved to China in you know May May 20th of uh, May 20th of 2016. So I, I moved to LA specifically to switch back into writing, producing, and directing, which was what I studied in school. I love doing the technical work. That's part of what, I mean, I enjoy that part of doing the podcast too, you know, because I can edit. It's my little chance to do that. But I moved to LA with the intention to flip the switch on that. And I still worked a few years in the technical world to pay the bills, but I was able to start doing that. I made a short film, didn't set the world on fire, but it was shortlisted for Sundance Film Festival. Did not get in, but I got to meet a lot of people. That led to my first feature film that I produced, which led to the next one, and on and on. So I produced a bunch of you know independent feature films, films half a million dollars or a couple million dollars, somewhere in that range. And you know, several things that I mean, I've had been lucky to have, you know, be part of films that played at all the major festivals around the world. And so started to get a little attention, although I wasn't the creator of those. And meanwhile, I was also, um, you know, one of my mentors says you can get rich producing, but you can't earn a living. And so, to, to, you know, because it's a very, it's a, you know, it's it's feast or famine in a way. And and until you really do have some giant hit that financially sets you up, it is a really a grind. And that's true for you know writers or directors or actors, especially the actors have it as bad as anyone. What I do think is very interesting is that as a Chinese person who um, has lived in the U.S. now for half of my life, so that's uh, what I say it was, 17 years, I noticed something really fascinating going on that, yes, I have a lot of American friends, obviously. Uh, I also have a good number of Chinese friends, but in comparison, they are a small fraction of my local American friends. I, I feel like I know a lot of people like you. And similar to you, who find themselves to be so intrigued, so fascinated by Asian culture. You know, it doesn't have to be Chinese culture. In some cases, it could be very specific, right, to the different regions and in Asia, but even sometimes Asian in general. And they find themselves as if they're almost stuck in a way that they are so shocked by how much in common and how much they have to say and share with their. Asian friends, do you find yourself feeling that way, you know, sometimes or when you're living in the U.S. or no? Yeah, I, I think I think I always 
probably from the bouncing around and the kind of the disconnected childhood in a lot of ways, I, you know, I always, you know, I always felt like the new guy. So when I would meet whether, I mean, students was where I had the most opportunity consistently, but I mean, just meeting people who were from a foreign country and yeah, I just always felt like I could relate, you know, as they're trying to settle into a place where I live and it's home, but yet it, nothing ever felt a hundred percent like home. Interesting. So I think there, I think that was the connection. Because on the other hand, right, like I've also come across people who are incredibly uncomfortable connecting with people from a different culture, different country. And then, and then here's people like myself who really uh, are from a different culture to begin with. And we now get thrown into a hodgepodge, a place like the US where we get to meet everybody. And I notice. Uh, what I mean by that is I notice where people from certain culture are really only comfortable and would prefer to hang out with people from that country, speak that language. Whereas I love, absolutely love meeting people from people from all around the world. I love meeting their families. I love homemade meals made by their parents and their grandparents. I love listening to the funky music. I just, as you were just telling me that story, because that's kind of how I felt. And then by nobody's surprise, you know, that you ended up somewhere nowhere near home. That's sure. that's really cool. So uh, I would love to learn something kind of similar what I similar to what I just expressed, but through your own experience, your eyes. And so what is your friends network like in Beijing right now? Are they mostly expats? Are they local people that you just bump into and make friends with? Uh, no, great question. And I totally, uh, I, I understand that. And I think it's, it, it ebbs and flows and, it de- um, it depends on the specific group. I mean, I have plenty of local friends and I was lucky to most, you know, because I had so many, quite literally several hundred Chinese students, a lot of them are back here mm, and so- through the, and through them, I've met people I and mean, I don't hang out with former students that much, but we're definitely a few of us are connected. I mostly know, you know, up until recently, I've mostly known Chinese people. Um, I don't hang out in the expat bubble at all. I mean, I do. <laughs> Good I, I, for I, you. Not at all. I, Why not? I, I, let me walk. Let, let me walk that back. I mean, it sounds like it, that's not a position. I'm, I should say that I used to rarely hang out in the expat bubble. In the previous company that I was building, uh, I was the only foreigner. I was the only Wagoran. But but fairly recently, in the last few months, because of the podcast, you know, mo- I mean, most of the expats who I've gotten to know are through this podcast because that's who I'm interviewing primarily. You were a reverse Laowai guest for people who wonder how that came about. Every so often, I like to get somebody who's made the opposite move. So that's how you ended up on the show. But, you know, I was meeting foreigners that way. But fairly recently, I've gotten to know a lot of people who, you know, food and beverage world, people who own or run a bunch of the bars and restaurants or the Beijinger, which is the big English language media outlet here. And getting to know a lot of these people, all of a sudden I realized, oh, here are all these, these longtime people in a group. <laughs> you know, here are these expats, here are these people who've been here 10, 20 years, all kind of gathered together. So I've sort of gotten to know a lot of people pretty recently, but most of the people I deal with day to day are, you know, are, are actual Chinese people. So 
Let's talk about the expats for a second. What is the breakdown of their nationalities that are mostly Americans or are they literally equally divided from all over the world? What I know, I know statistically that, I mean, I just saw some figures at some presentation, somebody's PowerPoint, um, and it was a Chinese government man who was speaking at this thing. And of the, I know that that South Koreans are actually the largest by numbers. They're the largest expat group in China, followed by Americans, and then followed by I forget the breakdown, but you know, Euro, European heavy. And in terms of my in terms of my world, a lot of Americans Americans are probably the dominant group, but it's not homogenous. Um, you know, uh, Switzerland and Belgium and Singapore. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Canadians, quite a few Canadians, it seems like. Out of the American, like, I, I don't know why this fascinates me, um, but out of the Americans that you meet, sounds like the, there's definitely, I'm not surprised, there's a big bulk of them. And also just the landscape of North America is quite huge. So, uh, and I also think American generally are, are exposed to a lot of Asian cultures, believe it or not. With where are these Americans from? Like which states? Where do they what where do they grow up or, you know, where they last stayed in the States? Well, it's it's funny. Um I seem to meet, you know, because I again I'm I'm a primarily a, a producer and I'm working to build a new company right now. I actually don't have a job other than producing big fish in the Middle Kingdom. Uh, so I'm working to build a new company. And what I can say right now without jinxing it is that there is one American partner and then there's a Chinese guy. And the Chinese guy is from uh, Guangzhou, although he, I mean, he lives here, but he's from Guangzhou. The American guy is from Michigan, but he became a Hollywood guy and then he moved to Australia. And so he's been all over the world. And so that that's what's – I mean I know Americans who are here, a lot of the entertainment people, I mean a lot of them are L.A., some are New York. But most people I know in L.A. are from someplace else. Mm -hmm. There yeah, are the exactly. handful of natives. But what I could say that I think everybody would nod their heads and agree with is that, I mean, you have to somehow have this interest in the spirit of adventure to be here. And there are all these expat cliches from actually from when you lived here. Oh, it's a bunch of alcoholic, quote unquote, English teachers because you speak English natively and maybe you like to drink and it's a cheap place to drink. And I would say that that was really one of the big cliches. And now the, the expats who are thriving here, foreigners used to kind of be able to get away with just about anything, frankly, like back in the day from what I understand. And then over the last 10 years or so, you know, you have to come here in a spirit of partnership and humility and wanting to lurk and learn and work. And that's the only thing that works. And people who don't have a clear mission, there are people who can kind of drift and find themselves, quote unquote. But if you don't have a clear mission, it's going to be pretty brutal here. Yeah. I, I can imagine that. And I love when you said foreigners used to get away with anything. And I remember that being the case when I was very young, I would say. Some, that's speaking of which, those are some of my first memories. And, uh, you know, I remember there were shopping malls that are only uh, people with white skin and blue eyes can get into. And by the way, that was such a turnoff for my family. I remember that was something that 
left such bitter taste in, uh, you know, sort of the conversations that just went around. I remember as a, as a kid, my mom had yeah. something so strongly against it. And um, she would purposely, you know, the moment, I remember it's called, actually it was called the friendship. It's right in the center of Beijing. It's a very, very old uh, shopping mall. And you won't even recognize it anymore because it's so old. It's called the, I think it's called the Friendship Mall. And it was a, like, uh, we we even had ratings for them. So there was, had very high rating, had very luxury, many luxury brands. And um, I remember uh, five, being five or six that my mom will take me there to get certain things, but will always teach me what the brand represented and and then obviously for many reasons that we wouldn't go there because we didn't feel like uh, it served us and it respected us. I, I did this whole thing that went on and it was so severe, you know. And then I think all of a sudden, I've been here for a long time, 17 years. And when I first got to the U.S., it was a very different environment where I felt like I need to behave, I need to represent, I need to really build uh, the reputation for Chinese people. And and now these days, exactly like you said, there's, you know, the whole thing just keeps on shifting while I'm still here. You know, I think you really pinpointed something just about five, 10 minutes ago. Uh, it's really advice for people who are thinking about moving to China or, or elsewhere, really moving from A to B. Um, I encourage especially young people to like young millennials to consider is maybe either in school or after school, go to a country where you do not speak the language that will be most ideal and try to live and enjoy the culture and not just survive. Sounds so severe, uh, have fun and then, you know, fail. And, you know, for a year, I, I think a few weeks is where even six months just doesn't feel like enough, but anytime, you know, once you reach a year, you, it's so, there's so many stories you could tell, the grocery stores you, you went to, all the new cuisines that you learned to make. And speaking of which, what what type of, yeah, how, what, what's your diet like? I mean, do you make yourself Chinese food? And yet, like, do you go to McDonald's all day? Um, I mean, I, I do, I've always loved Chinese food, even, you know, before I had quote unquote real Chinese food. Living in Los Angeles, there's, a, there's an area east of Los Angeles called San Gabriel and it's a series of different cities and, and towns and there are over 2000 authentic Asian restaurants um, mostly Chinese and then Korean and then Japanese and to where they like they fly the you know the little ayes and little grandmas are you know bringing the spices back in their suitcase and so it is legit and so I was fortunate that I got a lot of really authentic Chinese food with Chinese friends in Los Angeles to kind of prepare me. Tell me, since I'm very familiar with the, somewhat familiar with geography in Beijing, especially, where do you typically hang out in Beijing? Well, I live in Shilipu. So the for people who don't have never been here um, in Beijing, kind of the the expat bubble is really centered on this area called Sanitum. And Sanitum is is where the giant, even if you've never been here, there's a huge Uniqlo athletics store that was in the news a few years ago for some some scandalous activities that happened in a dressing room. Um, but it's at the Taiku Lee Shopping Center in Sanitum, and there are probably hundreds of bars and restaurants around there, and it's this giant center of all these Western, and there's plenty of local brands too, but like high-end stuff and daily stuff 
that is a convenient place where I meet people a lot. But I also, I, in terms of what I do, I try to meet locally. There's some great places near my home because um, I'm in a real convenient area as well for people. And it's a really kind of good part of town for meeting and whatnot. And I also get up to Chijoba, which mm-hmm. is the arts yep, district. Of but it's really the super cool, funky arts district that was like converted industrial warehouse place. But there's world-class art galleries and boutiques and restaurants there and lots of meeting spaces. There's Co-working has become a giant thing here. So there are some pretty sweet co-working places. There's this out, outlet called the Naked Hub. It has become this giant China brand. It's kind of like the Chinese WeWork, but it's more upscale. So it's kind of crazy. I, I just feel that I'm living vicariously through you right now. And then you're talking about my hometown where I spend half of my life, but so often that I go back that don't even recognize I'm I'm lost all the time. I'm shocked. So this is a really interesting. Uh, so if you don't mind me asking, what is the rent like uh, in Beijing? I mean, there's a huge range. And from what I... I can tell you that it's it's going up and on the you know there are all these different tiers right I mean there are people who are expats who are executives with a company and they come here and they will get maybe a 20 or 30,000 RMB a month housing allowance okay and so there are apartments that are two bedroom or three bedroom apartments for people that maybe have a family who are sort of at the executive class of folks so um but for instance, I mean, I have a lovely studio apartment, and it's seven thousand RMB a month, which is about a thousand fifty. But if you live in a place that's more, um, if you live in a place that's more funky, you could you could pay half that to have a room in a shared apartment. I just I have to live by myself. So you know, what are some of the the takeaways, or what do you is there you know other final words you would like to share with my listeners if they're living in the u s or in China, if you want them to contact you, that could be one option. But sure. what are some of the final thoughts and words that you like to share? You know, you know, I mean, wrapping up this 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 is an adventure for me, and I really do enjoy sharing it. That's again, a big reason I created my podcast. So you know, crazyinagoodway dot com is my site. And you can learn about the show and you can contact me through there. There's links to everything. Um, you know, your episode, of course. I mean, they're all there on the blog page. But I would say that, again, but my personal mission for being here is related. I mean, there's there are my own issues of wanting to learn and discover and be part of this future that is being grown, you know, as we speak. And I, you know, with all the geopolitical stuff going on. Educate yourself. Don't believe everything you read and definitely don't, regardless of what, you know, where you fall politically, don't believe what any one or two or three politicians have to say. The truth is probably somewhere between all those opinions with a lot less, you know, rhetorical heat behind it. So there are plenty of great sources where you can get less biased but more accurate insight into China. So for me, I would I would encourage anybody listening in the states or, you know, outside of China to keep an open mind and for any Chinese listeners or, you know, displaced Chinese folks who happen to be listening to this too, know that there are plenty of people like me who are here sincerely where, you know, we want to be part of of things and helping to improve you know, improve the world for all of us a little bit. 
Mm. I love that. No, it's just so so gentle and beautiful. And Brandon, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for reaching out to me and giving me the opportunity to connect with you. And I, I'm sure because of this,、uh, there's so many more stories that we shared. And yeah, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you, Faye. I really love your show. And next time you're in Beijing,、uh, the、uh, the hot pot's on me. Hi there, it's me again. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode, and I hope you were able to learn a few things. If you enjoyed what you heard, it will be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the Face Royal podcast. It literally takes seconds. If you're on your mobile phone, just search for Face Royal podcast in the podcast app on iPhone or an Android app such as Podcast Addict, and click subscribe. All new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks so much for your support.